John 4, uh, verses 7 through 15. Uh, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. So good morning again. It is good to be with you uh, today. Before I jump in, I just want to give a big shout out to Oscar, uh, who did a great job last week teaching. Uh, For me, it was a blessing uh, just to hear him break down uh, one of the attributes of God. God's self-existence or his uh, aseity uh, and why that makes him uh, a God that is worthy of our awe and our worship and why that's good news for us. And so uh, if you uh, missed out on that for some reason last week, uh, I want to invite you to go to our website uh, or our podcast, download or stream that uh, this week, and I think you'll be blessed. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. We are continuing our series, our teaching series that we're calling Rock of Ages, where we are opening up the scriptures to to learn about the, the different qualities and characteristics that God has that makes him worthy of our worship, but also satisfying to our souls. And it's that concept, that satisfaction is what we're going to talk about this morning. The uh, the sufficiency of God, the all-sufficiency of God, the satisfaction of God. Now, we all long for that, don't we? We all sort of long for satisfaction, this deep-seated satisfaction, and that's, that's because we live in a world that is broken. When sin entered the world in what theologians call the fall that we read about in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, uh, the universe sort of broke from away from God's intended original perfect design. That's when disease and death and evil and disasters entered and crept into our world. All of those things that make us look around and go, man, this world is a mess. It seems broken, like there's got to be something more. Uh, What what you and I are plagued with is this desire for what we might call a fullness of life. The soul satisfaction that just never, ever fades. So every person is, is sort of born with that sense of longing. 
every single one of us, regardless of your faith background, we all sort of like uh, 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 always live with our eye towards the future, hoping that that future holds a satisfaction that's maybe greater or deeper than, than what we're feeling right now. And that's especially true in the middle of a pandemic. Everything that we put our hope in, everything that we thought was a sure foundation has started to crumble uh, away. A lot of us feel like we've been chasing that carrot for a long time. And this season that we're living in has exposed that all of those things that we've turned to again and again and again for satisfaction just doesn't last. Even global economies have a shelf life. And so what we find in our text this morning in John chapter 4 is that God is the very satisfaction for our souls. He is sufficient. He is overwhelmingly sufficient. He is all sufficient to satisfy our souls. And so point number one, the sufficiency of God is for everyone. The sufficiency of God is for everyone. That means it's something that we all deep down long for. It's also something that God uh, uh, desires to satisfy for everybody. It's offered. He offers to be sufficient for and to satisfy the longing of, of, uh, of every soul. It's, it's not just for some people and not others. Right? So here's what it says in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, we see the story of where Jesus is on one of his ministry journeys. And he he, uh, uh, is in this place where we're told that uh, on this journey, he decides uh, to cut through, to go on this detour and cut through a region that's called Samaria. So let's read just a few verses here in John chapter 4. John 4, where you at? Um, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And then let's read into the beginning of verse 7, okay? John chapter 4, verse 5. It says, So he, speaking of Jesus, uh, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, uh, which the way they told time back then is about 12 noon. And then verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came, came to the well to draw water. Now, it's helpful for us to have a little bit of background here. You see, in Jesus's day and in the region that he lived and ministered in, uh, the upper part of that region uh, was uh, occupied, uh, populated by the Jews. And then the lower part of this region was also occupied by the Jews. But then, kind of awkwardly, there was this middle part of the region that was controlled by a, a group of people called the Samaritans. Now, just because of some just political stuff we don't have time to get into right now, uh, the Jews at the time did not like the Samaritans. They were seen as outsiders, but the feeling was mutual. The Samaritans also did not like, they hated the Jews. And so you got to love how Jesus, who happens to be a Jew, he's a Jewish teacher, carpenter, and rabbi, you got to love how Jesus decides that 
when he's going to go from one region to another rather than detour around to avoid that uh, 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 kind of awkward state in the middle of Samaria, which is what most Jews of the time would have done, uh, Jesus decides to cut right through. He's like, you know, I'm going to go right through Samaria. And at noon on this particular day, when it is the sun is at its highest point, so it's hellishly hot, Jesus goes to the side of a well, a significant well. It's Jacob's well. And at that moment, a, a woman who we'll soon read uh, has quite a colorful backstory. Uh, 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 she is uh, strikes, uh, she approaches the well, she approaches Jesus, and Jesus uh, comes up to her and starts a conversation with her. Now, what's strange about this scene is that in that day, not only uh, did Jews and Samaritans not like to speak to one another, but culturally speaking, a rabbi like Jesus would not openly talk to uh, uh, an adulteress like this woman. Like she had, has had her own fair share of men, which again, we'll read about in, in a moment. Uh, she had five different husbands and the dude she's currently with is not even her husband, right? And so uh, culturally speaking, a rabbi like Jesus wouldn't want to be publicly associating with a woman like this. And so she's by herself. She comes out at noon and it's significant that it's noon because of the hottest part of the day. Uh, usually uh, people would avoid uh, drawing water at that point, uh, going out to the well. Uh, but she goes there at this time, probably because she's a social outcast. And what we see is that Jesus is not at all concerned about his reputation when he talks to this woman. We see that he actually reaches out to her. Out of love for her, he reaches out to her to meet a need that he sees that she has. And it's this profound moment here that because Jesus reaches through every barrier in this moment, he's reaching through racial barriers, through social barriers, through moral barriers, and he engages her in this deep conversation about her life and who he is. Now, why does he do that? It's because he knows that what God has to offer through him is a sufficiency, a satisfaction that is for every kind of person. His love and his grace is sufficient for both the judgmental religious elites that Jesus would end up saving and dying for and also for the social outcasts like this woman. The grace of God is not something that you're owed either because of your privilege, whether that's social, racial, moral, or what, what, what have you, uh, but it's given by grace. It is a gift. And you see, God's goodness, his sufficiency, his ability to satisfy our souls is not something that he discriminates on. It's something he offers freely as a gift. And so thereby the well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is embodying the scope of the gospel's reach. He is uh, embodying the scope of God's sufficiency, that he doesn't go for a particular social class or race. His salvation is offered and available for every kind of person because every kind of person needs him the most. 
And so this leads us into our second point where we see that the sufficiency of God is what we need the most. The sufficiency of God, the fact that God satisfies our souls, that is what we all need the most. So let's read about this now in verse 7 going down into verse 10. Uh, Again, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and then Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, she knows that what Jesus is doing here is scandalous, uh, that it's not, it's not considered kosher in that time. Uh, it says right there, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would, ha- you would uh, have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what does he mean there by living water? Like, what does Jesus mean when he says, You should have asked me for living water? What he's talking about is this thirst, this deep-seated thirst that only God can satisfy through him. A thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. Uh, made me thirsty talking about that. <laughs> but uh, it's a thirst for uh, a thirst for living water. You see, the reason that we all sort of thirst for what we might call soul satisfaction is because we're made for it. We're created, we're wired for this soul satisfaction that only God provides. Think about it like this, like the reason that, that you and I get thirsty, the reason that we get thirsty so quickly is because our bodies are made up of like 80% water. Like if you get dehydrated, if you get dehydrated, then like your, your water levels are maybe too low for comfort, uh, uh, then, then, then we start to get thirsty, right? Like your mouth starts to dry up. Uh, uh, many of us who have uh, uh, um, uh, just, if you've ever been out in the beach for a long time or have a sports background or a military background, uh, you, you know what that, how they always tell you, you got to stay hydrated, right? Like that's that phrase they repeat again and again, stay hydrated, drink from your canteen, right? Like in high school, in high school, uh, I was in this, uh, this thing, this youth program called uh, the Young Marines, the U.S. Young Marines. It's kind of like the Boy Scouts, but run by the Marine Corps. So it was like really just intense. Uh, and after a few years in, they sent me off to uh, Paris Island uh, on the East Coast for uh, a Young Marine Staff NCO training uh, to get yelled at by real Marine drill instructors. Uh, and and they kept telling us because over there it was hot. Uh, it was in uh, uh, this particular time it was hot. It was dry, and so that just kind of made it even more hot. And they kept saying, you got to stay hydrated, stay hydrated, drink from your canteen. One day uh, during the three weeks that we were there, uh, I did not do that one thing they kept telling me to do. uh, They kept telling us to do over and over again. Uh, I forgot to refill my canteen and so I wasn't drinking from it. And so here, there I am, I think I'm about 15 years old, and I'm running uh, one morning uh, uh, this uh, obstacle course uh, that they've uh, all the real Marines run, run through. And uh, there's this one part where you kind of got to jump up against this wall, and you got to hoist yourself up over, like swing your legs over. Uh, and as I was running up to the wall, because I was so dehydrated, I just passed out 
hit the wall like a pancake and like flailed back uh, and hit the ground. Uh, it was like one of the most embarrassing moments of my teenage years. Uh, and you see, I learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> Our bodies need to stay hydrated. Our bodies were made for physical hydration. And our souls, in the same way, were made to be satisfied in that way. Our souls were made for a spiritual hydration. You see, this fundamental human truth is what Jesus is teaching and enlightening the woman at the well about. Jesus is saying, look, I have come to offer the thing that your soul thirsts for the most. You see, this isn't just a water that your body needs, but a, 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 a water that your soul needs, a water that's sufficient to quench your thirsty soul. The deepest yearnings of your life, uh, uh, the deepest learning, yearnings of who you are uh, and, and your dreams and your longings, that is what living water satisfies. And so when you are parched, when you thirst, it satisfies your soul in that way. Jesus is saying, look, you have no idea who's in front of you right now. Jesus is saying, look, if you knew who was in front of you, you would have asked me for living water. And he's not being egocentric. He's just being truthful. I want you to look now, verse 11 and 12, see what happens next here. It says, the woman says to, to him, to Jesus, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And this well, the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, the idea here is that she and her people, uh, they believe that they were the true descendants of Jacob. Uh, so they believe that this was Jacob's well, that this well belonged to him and to her their forefathers. And so it had a, a, a not only physical, but spiritual significance and religious significance to, for them. She's like, you know, if this well was built by Jacob and it was good enough for our forefathers, it's been good enough for us. Uh, then, then, then tell me about this living water. Is it even better than that? And I want you to look at this. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm offering something better. I'm offering living water, something even better than what comes out of even Jacob's well. Uh, look at verse 13 and 14 here. Uh, it says, blah, 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 where are we at? Verse 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So he says, everyone who drinks from the water from this well will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but for whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Mm. You see, Jesus is taking her to where she needs to go the most. You see, she has been going to all the wrong places to be satisfied, and none of them have been sufficient. Another way to say it is she's been drinking from the wrong wells. 
You see, we can learn so much about the patient pursuit of Jesus and his scandalous grace when we study their interaction here. You see, as their conversation unfolds throughout these verses, we see that she keeps trying to redirect the conversation, but Jesus is patiently pursuing her at the level of her deepest longings. He keeps bringing her back to what matters most. You see, she doesn't understand that there's a deeper spiritual need that she's been missing out on this whole time. That's why in verse 15, it says, uh, she says, uh, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, all right, sir, so give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here under the hot noonday sun. And his reply is brilliant. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, uh, go call your husband and come here. You see, she doesn't even want to go there, right? She doesn't want to go here. She doesn't want to go down that road. And so look at what she says. It says, uh, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you will now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So we see here that things start to get really awkward, like really fast. What's happening is Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. He's starting to drill down past this outside veneer that she's putting forward and into the area of her soul where her deepest longings lie. And I want you to see again how she responds yet again in verse 19. The woman said to him, "Uh, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Now, (laughs) Now, she makes a hard pivot there, doesn't she? She makes this hard pivot. Jesus is trying to get to the heart issue, uh, uh, her own heart issue. And and, and she goes, oh, hey, uh, uh, sounds like you might be a, a prophet, right? Like it's you're, you're, you're using prophet talk here. So uh, if you're a prophet, let me uh, ask you a question here. Let's talk about this, you know, temple controversy we got going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. How about we talk about that? You see, what she's doing is while Jesus is trying to speak to uh, the heart, she makes this hard left. She pivots uh, and and says, let's just uh, talk about this instead. Uh, And the reason that I want to bring up that point is because some of us do that. Some of us are theologues, which is not a bad thing, right? To love theology. We eat that stuff up. We podcast John Piper and R.C. Sproul. We've got these extra large nightstands so we can stack up our books, uh, add the extra works of Bob Inc. as they're getting published or translated and published uh, as they come out. And so, but sometimes, sometimes we can take even something good like that our doctrinal proclivities and use them as a crutch uh, to feel good about themselves and to ourselves to pivot and to avoid just the hard uh, heart level uh, conversations that the Lord wants to have with us in his word. Where we start to think things like, hey, if I just get all the right answers, if I just know more than the next person, if I'm just more reformed than the next person, if I'm my piety is more pronounced and more visible than the next person's, then, then, then I'm going to be good to go. Then I'm going to feel self-justified. But see, God wants us to find our justification, our righteousness from Christ, not from ourselves. 
Again, there's nothing wrong with theology. I really want to stress that. I'm a theologue too, right? I love theology. I listen to those podcasts. I, I've got those books lining my bookshelves. Uh, but theology is basically studying the things of God. And there's no thing and no person more worthy of our study and our attention and consideration than the Lord God of Almighty. So I'm not shying away from that. Theology is a good thing, but theology should be a means by which we cannot just know God, but to truly know Him and to have Him know us, to be known by God, to truly know Him. You see, that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so Jesus is drilling down with this woman to that area in her heart. He's drilling down to the area of her heart and soul where her deepest needs and longings live where her soul can be truly satisfied. She says, you know, hey, prophet, let's talk about this temple issue. But Jesus says, yeah, there's a temple, but look, I'm the one that you need. I'm the place of worship that you need. I'm that living water. I want you to notice his patience here. You see, the gospel isn't just the thing that introduces us into faith. It is patient. It grows us. It pursues us throughout a life, our life of faith. Uh, Jesus drills down deeper than our mind. He drills down deeper than our mere emotions. Uh, he drills deeper than theology and piety. He drills into what our minds need to truly know, what our emotions and passions uh, truly long for, what our theology points to. He says, look, go call your husband and come here. Go get your husband and come back to me, which sounds rude at first, but like he's changing the subject, but, but he's actually trying to get to that soul satisfaction. He's trying to teach her about the sufficiency of God. He says, look, there is a craving in you that nothing on this earth can satisfy. I'm here to give you what you're looking for the most. I'm looking to, to hear, I'm, I'm here to give you what you've been looking for in men, something that cannot be found in really any man, in any person, in any created thing. You see, if you try to find this soul satisfaction in money, possessions, power, relationships, man-made religion, any sort of created thing, then you will never be satisfied. Look, in light of this pandemic, we are coming to this harsh realization that our cultural idols don't last. They don't truly satisfy. They weren't meant to be sufficient. Money, possessions, power, reputation is all fleeting. What Jesus is getting at in this text is he's saying, whoever drinks from these wells, like Jacob's well, will thirst again. Not just physical thirst, but emotional and spiritual too. The thing that we worship will eat us alive unless it's Jesus that we're worshiping. You see, Jesus knows that no man can truly satisfy her at the soul level. That's why she's had six different guys, right? You see, if you drink from the well of the world, you will thirst again. And that's why Jesus is doubling down in her conversation with her. He says, look, why do you have so many men? You're just going to keep going that way, going to 
person after person after person. Maybe for you this morning, the question that Jesus is asking you is not, you know, like, why are you keep going from person to person to person? But why, why do you keep going to these things that you're realizing just don't satisfy? Why do you keep coming, going to earthly possessions, putting your hope in that? Why do you keep coming to earthly comforts, putting your hope in that? Why do you keep turning to pornography, to uh, money, possessions like debt, uh, spending all this time on, on, on social media for that social thrill? Uh, uh, why do you spend so much try- time trying to impress others? The fear of man. He says, you're going to keep finding that those things are not sufficient. They don't satisfy. You see, Jesus is trying to get to the place where we really place our hope. He's trying to expose that for her. And he's trying to, uh, the Holy Spirit is trying through this text to expose that to us. David Pallison, a biblical counselor uh, who passed away, um, uh, I think last year, uh, he uh He's written a bunch of uh, great little books uh, on uh, counseling, but he's got this one called Seeing with New Eyes, uh, basically seeing the world from a biblical worldview perspective. And in it, he's got this one very helpful chapter where he walks through what he calls x-ray questions, questions that kind of look into our hearts to help us discern what are the false saviors that we put our trust in. And so here are the types of questions he says we should ask ourselves. He says we should ask ourselves questions like, like, what is the one thing that I worry about the most? What is it that I rely on or comfort myself with when things get really hard? What preoccupies my mind? What do I daydream about? Or, or whenever I'm alone and, and have the time, where does my heart tend to wander? What prayer of mine that whenever it's unanswered uh, really makes me doubt my faith. What gives me the most self-worth? What is the one thing that I want to be known for? The one thing that I make sure people uh, know about uh, when I start a new conversation with them, when I'm meeting a person for the first time. Now look, I read this list to you because I want you to see that however you answer these questions will expose, will show you the idols in your heart, where you find your identity, where you find your sense of value. John Calvin talks about how the human heart is this perpetual factory of idols. We are constantly searching for, constantly working for, working to find hope, to find satisfaction, uh, to mend our broken selves. Whatever it is that you want more than anything else, if you try to be satisfied by that, uh, Jesus is saying you won't. You'll keep coming back to that well. Whoever drinks of these waters will thirst again. Now, I love the way that C.S. Lewis articulates this. He says, There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, which heaven is when we uh, will find ourselves uh, just fully satisfied by the sufficiency of God. And, And Lewis says, There have been times when I think right now we don't desire heaven that way, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have desired anything else. 
You see, it is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want. He's saying there's in us this desire that just keeps chasing after things that don't satisfy our souls. He's saying our problem is, man, we just are settling for too little. We need to desire more, desire and chase after that living water. You see, this is why nothing but God satisfies. Only he satisfies in the truest and most significant ways. Jesus's big point here in John chapter five is he's saying, you need something deeper than this well. You need something deeper than your where your emotions lead you. Something deeper than empty Christianity. Deeper than whatever it is uh, this morning that your heart loves the most. Jesus says, I am the only fountain, the only Lord, the only object of affection that will not leave you desiring, that will not leave you wanting or thirsting. And if you receive me, Jesus says, I will satisfy you. God is sufficient. Jesus says, God will satisfy you in me. And this leads us into our very last point, that the sufficiency of God, it changes us, it transforms us. Here's the final and greatest thing that he leaves her with. Again, she's trying to redirect the conversation and talk about and not talk about temples, uh, saying, you know, like, what temple is it that we should worship at? And I want you to see how Jesus responds. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, which is a term of affection. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship uh, what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And so Jesus is saying, look, right now, Jerusalem, is where you go. But then he says, but but that's he's saying that's where it has been. But now it's different. Now something's about to change. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, Jesus is saying something is happening here that will make all this temple talk irrelevant, that will make the temple obsolete. Now, I want your attention on that phrase, the hour is coming. Now, everywhere in the Gospel of John that you see that phrase, the hour, uh, he's talking about, John is talking about the hour of Jesus' death, the hour of the cross. In other words, Jesus is telling this woman, he says, look, the hour of my death on the cross is coming. And all this temple talk is going to be irrelevant. It's going to be obsolete because you won't need the temple anymore. You see, the significance for the temple is back then uh, they believed, God's people, they believed that the temple uh, was the place where you meet God, where it's the temple was the place of God's presence. It was the place where you rehearsed the truth of God and the story of God. It's where you received atonement for your sins, where this great high priest would come up and slaughter uh, a lamb uh, to atone for the sins of the people as an offering to God. Blood would be shelled to atone for their sins and the people would receive forgiveness. And so the temple was where all of the goodness and the glory and the grace and the beauty of God uh, was on full display. 
And so Jesus is saying, look, the hour of my death is coming. And when that time comes through my death and resurrection, the temple will be no longer relevant. Jesus is saying, because I am the ultimate temple that you need. He's saying, you're not going to need those priests anymore because I am the great high priest, the great mediator that stands between God and man. He's saying, you're not going to need that sacrifice anymore because I am the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb of God given for the sins of the world. You see, that is how the sufficiency of God strengthens us. This is how the sufficiency of God changes us. It's through this gospel. It's not a strength or a transformation that comes from within us, but it comes to us by God's spirit. Listen to this. On the cross, Jesus Christ endured the most unquenchable thirst so that we wouldn't have to. He endured the most unquenchable thirst, the wrath of God. He was cut off on the cross from the source of all life. He took, absorbed the wrath of God as a propitiation for our sins. He thirsted both physically and spiritually so that we could be quenched where our uh, uh, souls needed the most, the thirst uh, that uh, our souls have the most. He suffered the righteous torment of God's wrath so that we could taste the quenching living water of the grace of God, of what it means to go from an enemy of God to a son of God or a daughter of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that should not only create unspeakable joy in your heart, but knowing the cost, having the picture of God's grace for you on the cross should change your heart in the, in, in, in the truest of ways, should change your heart and should change where you find your hope in, where you turn to for satisfaction when you see how much God loves you and desires you in the cross of Jesus. You know what happens to this woman when she hears this good news? When she comes to grips with how desirable God is, she finds God desirable. She sees that he is all sufficient. She sees that he will satisfy her soul. She becomes a daughter of God. Once a stranger to Jesus, she now becomes an eternal friend of Jesus. How do we know that? Because as this chapter goes on, as John chapter 4 goes on, you see that her heart is so transformed, her soul is so quenched that she just can't stop talking about it. Jesus changed everything about her so much that she can't wait to tell someone else. And so she just starts going around uh, the village and the towns, uh, uh, just sharing the gospel and the hope of Jesus. That his love, his character, his beauty, his goodness is the ultimate satisfaction of our souls. I love the way that John Piper articulates this in his famous quote when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him.
See, a God-satisfied heart will spill out in hope for the good of others and for the glory of God. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to let that be your story. I want you to let the woman at the well's story be your story too. You see, this the gospel, the good news of God's grace that he satisfies our souls, like it is not just chapter one of your Christian narrative. It's the header on every page that just like the woman, our souls will find satisfaction in the gospel of God's grace, and we will continue to walk in the gospel, compelled on a mission to spread hope, to quench the thirst of others with the living water that only Jesus provides. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.